guys. How you doing? Yeah, yeah. All right, well, hey, today, just like we saw, we saw Lottie, and, and these guys are like, she needs to be scorned. She needs to get the cone of shame. She needs to be put down. We're going to see that in the Bible, in real life, just with people instead of dogs, as you can imagine, okay? But before we go there, I have a question for you. And this might date me. I, I might be about to be embarrassed, but whew, I'm going to ask you anyway. Do you, do you guys know what the Lord of the Rings is? You do? Yo, someone said they love the Lord of the Rings. Oh, guys, I'm not irrelevant. This is, this is fantastic. Woo. Well, my, my uh, proposal to you is that what we're doing today is kind of like a scene in the Lord of the Rings. This might be weird, but just roll with me, okay? Like, it's, it's kind of like you guys are like the cute little hobbits, right? With like the big hairy feet. And you're just living in the Shire. You're just hanging out, rolling around on the grass, having picnics. Huh? You know, you're just laughing with each other like, oh, everybody, everybody do that. Oh, yeah, you're just, having, you're just having the best day. And it's just fun and peaceful. And if there's a soundtrack to it, it would have sounded like this. Sorry, I got oh, to get you this right. Nope, nope, that's not it. Oh, I ruined it. Dang it. But you get what I'm saying. But then what we're doing today is kind of like as if that old crusty wizard comes in and he's like, Hobbits, you're wrong. It's not just all picnics and plays and, and hanging out in sunshine and grass and tickle fights. It's not. Listen, there's like orcs coming in lava and there's this big Sauron eye guy. It's, we're ruined. And you guys are all be like, ah, you know. Just doom and gloom. And in the things that we've talked about so far, it's like we went from talking about the truth of God, that he's amazing and he made stuff like the bombardier beetle, which blows my mind. We talked about the Bible and that it's true and trustworthy and that even things in the ground like discovered cave cities where bad kings lived are found. We talked about Jesus and his heart for you and his life and teaching. And it just proves how good God is. But today the tone kind of shifts because now we direct our attention on the truth of you and I, and it's not good. It's doom and gloom. It's the, because the truth of us is inextricably tied to the truth of our sin. And guys, I hope that you have felt this so far, that I've, I've respected you, I've enjoyed our time together, and, and I'm just gonna invite you and ask you that just like every other time we've met, that this morning that you would engage, even if it doesn't feel as fun as some of these other things we've talked about, or maybe it feels a little bit uncomfortable what we're talking about today is just as important as the other things. I'm just going to ask you to, to roll with me and let's go there and see what happens, okay? Um, well, as we get ready to jump into our story, uh, I'm going to invite you to turn to John chapter 8. And when you get there, what should you do? Yeah, yeah, that's right. You guys know what to do. Um, but as you get there, I want to catch this up because we left off at John chapter 6. And I just want to tell you about some of the things that happen in John chapter 7. So this is what chapter 7 verse 1 says. It says, after this, after that hard teaching that he gave, remember the story about the bread? Jesus went around in Galilee purposely staying away from Judea because the Jews there were waiting to take his life. Remember, he has made it so clear, I'm God. He told the religious leaders, I and the Father are equal. I am, am God. He told them he's going to judge the living and the dead at the end of the world. Like all the things that are God, he's that. And it makes them completely irate, right? They, they want to murder him. And there's people who have multiple opinions. The religious leaders hate him. 
He's not God. They want nothing to do with him. They want him out of their way, right? There were people who, last night we saw, there were disciples of Jesus who heard his teaching. It was really hard to hear, and they left. They no longer follow Jesus. In chapter 7, verse 12, we see there's people who think other things about Jesus. Some of them are like, man, what a good guy. They probably saw him heal some people, and they're like, what a compassionate, loving, good man. But remember, we've established, is Jesus just a good teacher? No, he's either fully God, the Lord of your life, or he's nothing to you. That's the decision that we have to make. And there's another group of people who said, no, 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 he's not a good man. He deceives the people. He's claiming to be God. He's lying. He just wants something from them. He's like running a scam on him. This isn't a good guy. This is a con artist. And there's another group of people who think something different altogether. In verse 15, they say, how did this man get such learning without having studied? They're like, no, no, no. He's neither of those things. He's just, he's a genius. He has like a way bigger brain than us. And he's super smart. And he understands these crazy things. And that just makes him fun to listen to. We're in it for the mind bombs, you know? And in verse 31, it says, still many in the crowd put their faith in him. So people are all over the place on their opinions on who Jesus is and how they should interact with him and what this is all supposed to be. And I just want you to see that back then people had a bunch of different opinions just like in the world today, just like in this room today. Some of us were here last night and we realized, whoa, the way that I thought this relationship with Jesus was supposed to work isn't actually the way it's supposed to work. I realized I was just interested in Jesus for his stuff. And that, that was not accurate, right? Some of us are here and our opinion is, if we were honest, we've been so steeped in sin, choosing bad things that we think Jesus probably wants nothing to do with us. Other of us think about Jesus, we, we probably still have doubts and we don't think he is who he says he is. Or maybe you're here and you've simply put your trust in Jesus. People are completely divided about who he is and how they think they should respond. And that's why it's so great that we get to spend time looking at the truth of who he is and the truth of who we are today and how they reconcile so that we can make accurate decisions about how we respond to this Jesus. And that brings us <laughs> to this part that is incredible. Remember these Pharisees, they hate Jesus. And this is what it says in verse 32 of chapter 7. It says, the Pharisees heard the crowd whispering all these different things about who Jesus is, and they don't like the buzz, right? They don't want Jesus getting any attention. And it says, then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. And I, I don't actually know what the temple guards look like, but <laughs> in my weird brain, I imagine they probably wore those helmets with like the feather ploofs. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They probably had huge spears and were big buff with muscles and like a huge chin. And they didn't say words. They just grunted like, oh, oh. And so the chief priests sick these guys on Jesus. They're, I don't know. They, I don't know if they're running, you know, like this in the like kung fu movies or if like up, up, up in single file order, but they are going to get Jesus. He should be worried. Tell me what is happening right now. But I, listen to what happens when they get there. They get there and then they come back without Jesus. And finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priest who asked them, why didn't you bring Jesus? And this is what the temple guards say. They say, no one ever spoke to us the way this man does. It's like they got there and they're like, what? Jesus is speaking to my heart. He truly understands me. He's helping me understand me in ways I didn't even know before. We can't arrest Jesus. Look how great he is. Like even the guys who were supposed to arrest him are like, Oh, Jesus is the best. And then the religious leaders are even more infuriated. And so without successfully arresting him, they decide they're going to do something else. And that's what we find in John chapter 8. 
In John 8, it says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach. Teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. And guys, what we're about to encounter is this woman's absolute worst day. And I don't want to risk just reading this to you for entertainment value. So I want to do something else. I, I, I want to invite you, and this isn't necessarily enjoyable, to feel what she would have felt on her worst day. And this is the only way I know to do that, okay? I want you to imagine if I told you right now, hey, when chapel's done, we're actually going to do something different today. We're going to watch a movie. And it's not a movie that you've ever seen or heard about before. You haven't seen trailers on YouTube. This movie is about you. See, we went to your parents. You are the future, the whole feature film. We went to your parents and we got your home videos from when you're a baby. And you start thinking, you're like, what? The cute videos where I'm like saying gaga goo goo and making the pouty face, like we're going to watch that? People are going to know how cute I am. This is great. And I'd be like, yep, that's true. But then I'll go further and I'll say, guys, it's not just your baby videos. What we're going to put on these screens for everybody in this room to see is we actually have this like satellite camera, kind of like Google Maps, where we've been able to follow you around outside with your friends and see what you're doing. And you might be excited and go, wait, wait, wait. You mean those sweet tricks that I landed at the skate park? Your triple whatever on your little scooter, your little scooter rat, you know what I'm saying? You know, people are going to see my accolades. Oh, I'm going to be famous. This is great. And I'd be like, yep. You'd be like, you mean, you mean at junior high at lunch when I told that joke and everybody laughed until they beat their pants and they thought I was hilarious? That's going to be up there? And I'll go, oh, yeah, buddy. In stunning HD, people are going to see all this. And you're like, the world's going to love me. This is fantastic. But then I'll tell you, here, there's a crazy thing too. This, this satellite also has x-ray technology on it. And we're actually able to see and have been recording in your home. Kind of like a soap opera, drama, like reality TV, right? We, we have footage. We're going to show everybody those like raw interactions between you and your siblings and your parents. And at this point, you probably wouldn't say this to me, but, but you'd think it with apprehension. Oh, no. You mean all those times that I argued with my mom, that I, that I yelled and said things that were like, like, I don't want people to see that. You mean the way that I've treated my siblings for the last few years? You start to think about you in your room and the things that you've clicked on and the things that you've watched and the things that you've said. And now with absolute terror, you go, we cannot show this movie. I, I will do anything to stop this. And I would add one more and go, guys, here's a crazy thing. We actually have technology that most people don't even know exists we have the ability to pick up the frequency that your brain waves emit, and we can convert your thoughts into images and video, and we're actually going to see your thought life up here on these screens for everybody. Do you hear the room right now? Now your stomach would have sunk so far, and you would be shaking in absolute terror knowing you can never show your face here again because people aren't just going to hear the things that you thought. They're going to see your angry thoughts, your mean thoughts, your selfish thoughts, your disgusting thoughts, your lustful thoughts, all of the absolute worst trash of who you are is about to be up there and we're going to consume it with our eyes. You would either faint or run out these doors and never come back here again because you would be so aware of how terrible it would be for your deepest shame, the worst parts of you, to be made public. Do you feel that? That is what this lady is feeling in this moment. Listen to this. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group 
and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery in the law Moses commanded us to stone such women. They're probably very gruff with her. They probably grabbed her by the arm and threw her and pushed her in front of Jesus, right? And they're saying, Jesus, you know what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to stone people like this. And here's the reason that it's a trap. If they couldn't arrest Jesus, the reason they want to do this now is because this Jewish area, Rome was actually in charge at the time. And Rome, Rome made it illegal for Jews to execute people. So if Jesus says, yeah, you're right. The rules say we should execute her. Let's do it. Well, the Jewish people are going to be happy with him, but he's going to be in big trouble with Rome. But if he says, no, we can't, we can't execute her, then the Jewish people are going to be super angry at him, and he's going to be okay with Rome. They have built this thing where no matter what Jesus says, it looks like a whole bunch of people are going to hate him, and he's going to be in trouble, and they're excited about them because they want this guy gone, right? And I don't know if you know what stoning is. There are a couple different ways to do this. It was a method of execution, one of which was they would dig a pit, and they would have the person step down into that pit, and they would bury them up to their waist, and then they would stand in a circle around them, and with rocks the size of softballs, they would just pummel their body until they crumpled and died. That's what this lady is facing. Her sin has gotten so out of control that it has now caused her public humiliation and is about to bring her death. This is her worst day. And at the end of verse 6 is what it says. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Now, Bible scholars speculate a whole bunch of different things that he was writing, but I actually know what he was writing. Can I tell you? <clears throat> he was writing, boys rule and girls drool. Oh, yeah. oh where are my boys at? <laughs> Guys, I'm just kidding. Uh, remember how we said Jesus has caused so many people, people are divided over what they think of Jesus. So are you now. Actually, ladies, what we know is that you are legitimately smarter than us, okay? Yeah. We... And the boys aren't saying anything because we know that it's true. No, I'm sorry, that was a dumb joke. But in seriousness, this is very interesting to me. Some Bible scholars speculate that maybe he was just doodling, passing the time. Maybe he was writing the laws of the Old Testament that, that were being broken here that they were talking about, right? But, and I don't get to say that I know this for sure, can I tell you what I think he was writing? There's a prophecy that references one of the things Jesus claimed to be last night. Remember when he said, I am the spring of living water? Well, that prophecy that he was referencing actually mentions this thing that's happening right here. This is in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 13. It says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust. Because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Guys, I wonder if Jesus is writing the names of these religious leaders who have tried to trap him, who have forsaken him in the dust as their, as their jaws drop. I wonder if he's writing their sins in the dust and they stand there flabbergasted and silent. I don't know, but something crazy is happening because look at how they respond. Well, Jesus says, if any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. He's saying, has this lady sinned, just like we saw in this skit? Absolutely. But if today we're killing sinners, then every single one of you is going to die too. And they knew it. They felt 
what she felt, what you felt today, if our sins were on display, if he was writing those things out in the sand, right? This doesn't just apply to them, it applies to you and I. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is every single one of us. It's not just that lady. It's the religious leaders, it's her, and it's us. But look at Jesus' response to our sin. Well, first, at this, those who heard begin to go away one at a time. The older ones first. You saw that, right? Until only Jesus was left. With the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. So this lady will live but still probably the worst day that she has ever had in her entire life. And I just want to ask that question. How did she get here? How did she get to a point where her sin is so out of control that it's now causing public humiliation and about to bring about her death? Guys, I bet if you'd have asked her 10 years ago, hey, do you think you'll ever have a sin so out of control that it humiliates you and causes you to die? She'd be like, no way, that's not even possible. But we have to think about the nature of sin for her and for us. I, I imagine that it worked the same for her as it does for us. Maybe it started small, a small sin that she was comfortable with and went, look, there's no real consequences to this. I'm getting away with it. And once she became comfortable, that allowed her to entertain slightly bigger sins and slightly bigger sins until over time she got to this point. Because the first thing that I want you to understand about sin is that it is not static it's, it's dynamic. That just means it grows. It doesn't sit where you tell it to sit like a good dog. Sin is always growing, always festering, always lingering and worsening. I want to read you this verse. This is uh, James chapter 1, verse 14. Uh, and it's an analogy that I really don't like because it's kind of scary. Here's what it says. It's going to sound weird at first, but just, just listen. It says, But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire... He is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Here's the analogy, the picture that's being put in front of us. It's saying you, when you're tempted, when you think about that sin that you might do, but you haven't done it yet, and then you give in and you do that thing that you will be ashamed of and guilty of, that moment is like you've given birth to a child. And all the boys are like, no, uh, no, just, just roll with me, okay? And your child's name is sin. And that child does what every child does. It grows. It gets bigger. It gets stronger. Eventually, it gets to a point where it's so big that it's capable of overtaking you, and it kills you. This is the picture that the Bible gives us of our sin. So what that means is a little bit terrifying for you and I, especially those of us who have gone, yes, I have this sin. I'm embarrassed of it. I'm just going to pretend that it doesn't exist. I'm going to leave it in the corner and hope that it goes away. Maybe it will. The Bible's saying that's not how it works. Sin undealt with will undo you. Sin grows. It festers. It lingers. It becomes powerful and more powerful when undealt with. There's this guy. His name's uh, Captain Wrong, and he said Captain Ron, and he said one of the most profound things about sin that I've ever heard. He's like six foot three with a giant white mustache to made him look like a walrus, and he basically just said. Sin will always take you further than you wanted to go, cost you more than you wanted to pay, and hold you longer than you ever wanted to stay. 
Guys, that's what this lady experienced. I have experienced that in my life. I'm absolutely sure there are some of you in this room who are in the middle of experiencing that right now. And you feel like you're drowning in your sin and you can't get out and you don't know what to do and you feel far from Jesus. I don't say this to, to shame you. Jesus, his goal is not to condemn this lady. This is so important because God has something better for you. He wants to pull you out of that and rescue you from that. But first, we have to make sure that we're willing to soberly examine the power of sin. So that's your first thing, that sin grows. It doesn't just sit there. It doesn't do what you want it to do, right? The second thing is that sin overrides us. Now, when I say sin, I don't mean the bad things that you do, okay? Sin isn't like you slapped your grandma. Like that's just an action, right? Some of you are like, who in here is slapping grandmas? <laughs> don't raise your hand to that. No. <laughs> hey, maybe she deserved it. I don't know. No, guys, sin is not the bad stuff that you do. The Bible gives this picture of our sin natures. It says that the real problem with sin is that you have this thing inside of you that's a part of you, like a sin machine that taints and ruins everything that you think and everything that you do. Have you ever noticed that even when you try to do something good, there's this thing in the back of your head, like say you're going to help someone, but now you have this weird ulterior motive where like, I'm going to help them, ooh, and that's going to make me feel good about myself. I'm going to help them. And I want other people to see, and that's going to make me feel good. Right? There's even selfishness in the good things that we do. Sin is constantly corrupting and tainting and ruining the bad and the good. Every single piece of us in nerd terms, this is called the doctrine of total depravity. We are completely ruined by this thing inside of us, our sin nature. It is so much bigger than just actions. The Bible will describe it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. I really don't like this verse, but it's in here, and it's true. It says this, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts like the rest we were by nature, objects of wrath. Here's why this is terrifying to me. This is saying there's something in me that sabotages me. There's something in me that has a different set of desires and wants that causes me to act on those rather than the good things that I'm trying to do. Right? This is Romans 7 where Paul talks about, he says, the good things I want to do, I don't do, and the bad things I don't want to do, those I end up doing. What a wretched man am I who will rescue me from this body of death. Guys, that term sin nature or flesh in other translations, I just, I want to make sure you walk out of here with a comprehensive understanding of what it is. You know how when you, when you hit that first week of summer break and you're just lounging on the couch watching as much TV as you possibly can? And you've eaten the whole thing of cheese balls and it's made you a little bit shaky and burpy and you don't feel good, you know what I mean? And then, and then for whatever reason, you hop up and you go look in the fridge and there's nothing in there but like an old crusty bottle of mustard. You know what I'm talking about? You close it, you go back, you sit down on the couch and you watch more TV. What do you do again in five minutes? You, you get up and you check the fridge. What? Guys, as if your rational mind is like, you know what? I bet a rotisserie chicken has spontaneously arrived inside of the fridge. No, you don't think that. Something inside of you, this piggish, carnal, appetite-driven, mood-based piece, overrode your rational mind and said, check fridge now, eat. And you're not even hungry. You're going to barf if you eat. What is that thing inside you? 
Guys, it's your flesh or your sin nature when you know what kind of friend you want to be. I want our friendship to be one where this is good for both of us. It's healthy. We have trust and we get to enjoy each other and we're growing because of our friendship. And yet, something inside you, when your friend shares that secret, that thing they're embarrassed of and they confided in you for help, you're now tempted to go spread that rumor or gossip about them because if you can share that outside of your friendship, maybe it'll earn you a couple more popularity points. And then that word gets back to your friend who shared it, and they feel so heartbroken, and they betrayed, that they, and they come back to you and go, why, why would you do that? And our answer so often becomes, I don't know. I don't know. If you're doing things that you don't understand and don't want to do, are you in control? No, you've been overridden by your sin nature or by your flesh. Guys, it's your sin nature when you know what kind of son or daughter you want to be. I hate this one. When I was a kid in junior high, I would be in an argument with my mom, and I would know that she was right. But in my sin nature and my pride, I would continue arguing. This is gross, because I didn't want her to feel right. And I would argue, and it would be terrible, and I would get sent to my room and grounded and stuff taken away. And I remember sitting in my room completely confused and overwhelmed, going, what am I? What is happening? Like, this is not the son I want to be. This is not the relationship I want with my mom. Why am I doing this? Because your flesh so overrides you that you are not in control. And if you think about your life for one second, it's obvious. Because it's your flesh when you know what kind of person you want to be when you're alone. I want to be a person of integrity. I want to be that person who's the same when I'm by myself or with this group of friends or that group of friends. And yet that temptation that gets given into you when I click on that website or look at these things or send this over here, and now I'm filled with guilt and shame. What is, I know who I want to be, and it's not this. What is happening? My sin nature is a terrible, terrible, terrifying problem. And what we're feeling now isn't even just that sin is this thing that grows. It's not even just that it's this thing that's capable sometimes of overriding us. It's worse. The third thing about sin that you need to be reminded of is that, that sin that you keep in your back pocket like a pet that you've become super comfortable with? That you're like, it's not a big deal. Or maybe you've tried so many times to get rid of that sin in your life, and you're like, I can't. I just have to give up and live with it. Guys, that's a scary place to be because your sin is more powerful than you. Realize your relationship to sin is not shoulder to shoulder. It's not a peer that you can try hard and combat and overcome and conquer. Your sin exists on a completely different plane than you. This is the best way I could describe it. When I was uh, in elementary school, I was a weird kid. Like on summer break, I remember sitting on the sidewalk in front of my house where like the warm concrete was burning my legs, but it didn't matter because I was so engrossed in what I was doing. And I'd have a magnifying glass in my hand and I'd wait for bugs to walk by. You know what I mean? And ants were my favorite. An ant would walk by and I would hone that little beam from the magnifying glass so tight you could almost hear the heat. Like, it's like it's a laser, you know what I mean? And this little ant would be walking, and he's just minding his business. <laughs> and I would put it right in front of him, and then his antennas burn off. And if, an, if this ant could speak, he'd be like, ah! He's just freaking out, right? And I don't know what he's thinking, but they would always turn around and run faster and go the opposite dire direction. Like, oh, that was scary. I can get away. I can do it by myself. I'm out of here. And maybe he starts building himself up, like, it's okay, I encountered a difficulty, but I can do this. I'm the master of my own destiny. Maybe he's carrying like an aphid or a little cricket leg. He's like, I'm taking this to the queen. I'm the man. I am going to make today a great day. I'm fine. I'm fine. But what am I doing? As the giant above him, I'm lifting up my hand. 
and I'm putting him in front of him where he's going the other direction. But now, because his antennas are burned off, his face runs into the magnifying beam and melts off, and he's like, you know what I mean? Guys, I, I told you I was a gross little kid. Like, I could tell you what species of ant that was based on the way it smelled when it was burning. I know, I know. But guys, this is my point. Think about that relationship from the ant to me. That thing is completely powerless, right? He doesn't stand a chance against me. Well, that ant is you, and that kid is the sin. You don't exist on the same level. Your sin is more powerful than you. It will overpower you every time. There is nothing you can do. This should be sad and depressing. There is nothing you can do in your own strength by yourself to rescue yourself from sin. You are broken. You are blind. You are stuck, and that's it. That's it. That thing that you've convinced yourself, I can hide this. I can try harder. I'll be fine. You're the ant getting your face burned off and you don't even know it. Guys, sin is constantly growing and it cannot be left undealt with. Sin will override you and sabotage you in ways that frustrate you and just absolutely defeat you. And sin is so powerful that you never, ever stood a chance. I'm a little bit nervous to tell you this, um, but I... I will have regret if this is just a concept shared with a bunch of kids from a Christian school. This has to be real in our lives. The hardest place that I interacted with this in my life was in seventh grade. And in seventh grade, uh, there's a kid who shared some images with me that neither of us should have been looking at. And I remember just being petrified because it took root in my brain. And it started affecting my thoughts. And I knew who I wanted to be. I knew what kind of kid I wanted to be. But there was this thing happening in the back of my brain, lowering my self-esteem, changing the way that I thought about myself, and I couldn't escape it. Guys, I remember crying myself to sleep at night because of my sin that I didn't want. I didn't want shaping who I was, and yet it was growing. It was overriding. It was more powerful than me, and I was absolutely desperate. And I came across this verse, 1 John 1, 9, and it said something even more terrifying. Talking about the way that you can experience healing from, from this sin that ensnares and conquers you is by confessing it. And I was like, no. But all it took was experiencing more of the terrible things of this sin for me to go, that sounds bad, but it's the better alternative. So at one point I mustered up enough courage and I felt like God was pushing me to talk to my parents. And so I pulled my parents aside and with tears I just said, I'm drowning like, I don't know what to do. I, I hate who I am. I hate what I think about. I don't want to be this. And I'm absolutely stuck and I don't know what to do. And what I thought was going to be my absolute shame. My parents are just going to rub my face in it and tell me how disappointed they were. That moment was one of the biggest moments of relief I've ever felt. Again, what the Bible said was true. And they said, buddy, we love you. We're here for you. Whatever you need, we're in. We're going to figure this out. Guys, sin has to be dealt with for God's glory, for our blessing and our relief. We talk about this stuff not to make you feel disgusting, but to remind you that's really where you are when you don't think about it. And God has something so much better than that. But you have to choose to trust him. You have to choose to obey him. You can't ignore it and have pet sins and go, it doesn't matter. You can't be numb to this stuff. It's a choice that you make, right? I want to end with this. There's, this next chapter is John chapter 9. And we see Jesus talking to these religious leaders. And what has just happened is he healed this guy of his blindness. And this guy has been blind from birth. Like, think about that. He's never seen anything. And you might want to read this later today or at some point, but he, the way he heals him is 
I just love that God puts this in the Bible. He spits in the mud, like, and then he makes these, like, mud cakes, and then he takes them one in each hand and just plops them on the guy's eyes. And that's how he, like, he could have done it anyway, and that's how he chooses to heal them. And this guy, like, imagine this, you guys. If you'd never seen anything, but you've, like, felt the bark of a tree or pet a dog, and now you can see it, and you're like, that's what a dog looks like? I had something totally different in my brain, you know? This guy's amazed, just like the paralytic who was able to walk. And again, Jesus was doing this on the Sabbath, and the religious leaders are all mad because he's breaking the rules. And what Jesus basically says to them is, listen, you know how that guy was blind? Well, you guys are actually the one who are blind. And they well up with pride and they're like, what, you're going to call us blind? Who are you? You already know that we're a threat to you. We've, right, we've tried to arrest you. we tried to trap you. We're, we're coming for you and you're going to call us blind? Listen to this interaction that they have. I just want to read you one verse from this chapter. Here's what it says. This is John chapter 9, verse 41. They say, are we blind too? Jesus says, if you were blind, like, like really just straightforward blind, you wouldn't be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Guys, what this means is Pharisees, you think you can do this on your own? You think you don't need Jesus? You can carry the weight of life and your guilt and your rights and all the things that you're supposed to be? You can do that by yourself? Man, I wish you would acknowledge that you're blind and broken and stuck because then I could help you. And it's the same for us. God looks at us and he goes, please acknowledge the depth and significance of your sin. Realize that you are blind, you are broken, you are stuck so that you can experience my help and my forgiveness and my relief. I didn't design you to sit drowning in that stuff. I have so many amazing things I want for you, but you have to choose to obey me with this first. Guys, the first step to experiencing the truth of Jesus' love is to admitting the truth of our sin. That's where we start. And I don't care if you go to a Christian school. I don't care how many years you've been a Christian. This is something that we are actively having to pay attention to as Christians. And if you're in here and you know these things should matter, but you are numb and you have a cold heart, I hope that strikes fear in you guys. And I don't say that because I'm judging you. I say that because I want the best for you. I have experienced the worst of this and the best of this. And trusting God is way better than the alternative. Let me pray for you. God, we love you. I thank you for every single one of these students. And I thank you that you offer yourselves to each of us, that, God, you give us your Holy Spirit, that you care about us, that you love us, that you guide us, that you convict us. God, you give us every single thing that we need, including prodding, including growth. God, would you do exactly what you have planned in the lives of these students this week for your glory and for our blessing? We love you. Let me give you today. And everybody said? Amen. Amen.